Well, if you can, track down a Bible, get with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're doing a series through the Sermon on the Mount, and today is the Lord's Prayer. And so I want to read uh, the surrounding context also, the part leading up to it, and then we'll pray and we'll get to work. This is Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what they need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now as we've opened your word, we're praying that by your spirit, through that word, you would speak to us. We want to be a prayerful people, but we want to pray in a way that is pleasing to you. So just like the disciples requested, Lord, teach us to pray. Would you please teach us to pray today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to look at this under two headings. We're going to look at um, how you are to pray, how to pray, and then what to pray. How, how to pray, the, the posture that you assume, not the the physical posture necessarily, but the spiritual posture that you assume when you go about the activity of praying, and then what you pray, the sorts of things that come out of your mouth when you're communicating with God. So first off, how you are to pray, and this comes from the sermon itself, the Sermon on the Mount and the surrounding uh, section that we're looking at, but it's this idea that there's a way in which we ought to approach God in prayer. And one of the things that uh, this section is teaching us is that we need to have a heavenly mindedness. One of the themes that's now running through this section of the sermon is the idea that we have a, a father and his location is very significant. We have a father in heaven. And so the things that we're doing ought to be in reference to that reality. He's in heaven and we should be thinking about him. That, that should be occupying our thoughts and, and, and helping us to think through how to be faithful in this moment. We need to be a heavenly-minded people. Now, some have suggested that if you're heavenly-minded, you might be of no earthly good, that if you're always kind of walking around with your head in the clouds, you might not be a very productive individual. You, you might not be a, a very helpful citizen in this society. But the truth is, if you are heavenly-minded, you're actually of great value. C.S. Lewis I think it's in his book, Mere Christianity. I couldn't track down the reference, but I do have the quote. He, he speaks into this idea here where he says, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world 
were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of, of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. See, what Lewis is pointing out is we need to be heavenly-minded, and when we are, we actually, we actually are of great value to this world. When we're praying, when we approach God in prayer, we should be thinking about him as our Father who is in heaven. That should dominate our thoughts. We should, we should set our mind on those things. We should fix our minds on the reality that God is in heaven. And when we pray, we think on that. We, we think about that reality. He is in heaven. And as we approach him then, I think we'll pray in a way that's pleasing to him. Another aspect of the way in which we approach God is with what I would call a gospel bashfulness. Meaning when we pray, there's something so special about it, something so sacred about it, that it should feel almost inappropriate to share that with other people or to share that in public. Now, I'm not saying that you cannot do that, but I think that prayer, we ought to have a preference for the private because it's such a sacred activity. See, Jesus is teaching here that there's a way in which people pray in public in order to display themselves. And he says, you don't need to do that. You can go into your private spaces and you can pray with your heavenly father who sees what is unseen and he will reward you. I was thinking about it in terms of what happens during a wedding ceremony. There are times when I'm, when I'm officiating a wedding and, and it's an obvious, very public event. They've got family, they, they've got friends, they've got everyone watching them. But during the ceremony, Sometimes there are these little sacred moments that happen between the bride and the groom that are unmiked, that are maybe unrehearsed, unplanned. They just happen. And yes, everyone is watching, but there's something so sacred about that that it's not really intended to be shared. And that's kind of like prayer with God. There's something so special about it, something so sacred about it, that when we're communicating with God, there's something that we, we should have this gospel bashfulness, that this is so special. What I have between myself and God here, I would have a preference for, for privacy. This is what the Lord did. He often withdrew to solitary places to pray. He often would go up on a mountaintop and pray or withdraw from his disciples to pray. But there's this reality that God is asking us not only to be heavenly minded and thinking about him, but also to just cherish that special fellowship that we have with him. Another aspect in how we are to pray is that there's a, there's a purpose for which prayer is given. God gives us the ability to communicate with him so that we might have him. It's, prayer is not a means to an end. It is the end. Prayer is not a means to getting something. It's actually an opportunity to experience someone. So when we think about prayer, there's a purpose for it. We're, we're not trying to use prayer to get something other than God himself. And that's what's going on with those illustrations that Jesus has given in verses 6 to 8. He's telling us that people are misusing prayer. Some are using prayer in a religious way. The hypocrites are doing this, and they're doing it really to 
platform themselves. They're using prayer as a means to achieve the end of their, you know, status and notoriety in the community. They're, they're praying in such a way that people would hear them. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street, street corners in order to be heard by other people. People will use prayer in that way. And Jesus says, that's not the point of prayer. It's not a means to an end. It is the end. The goal is to have a relationship with God and, and prayer is meant to achieve that. So do not pray like the hypocrites. They're misusing prayer. Do not pray like the pagans either, the unbelievers who pray with many words, who are heaping up these empty phrases and they're multiplying their words and they're thinking that if they do this right, then they'll get what they want. The way of unbelieving prayer is the way of treating the activity of prayer as almost almost like a way to try to get the divine to do what you want. Don't pray like that. It's like, if you're familiar with the, uh, the Marvel movies, it's like Dr. Strange and the magic and the spells. And unbelievers pray like that. That if there's some certain wording that I use or if I ask the right kind of person, sometimes people will ask me to pray like, do you have a special line of communication with God? And, and people will treat prayer in that way, thinking that if you just say the right sort of thing, then God will do what you want. If you, if you have the right phrases, if you say it the right kind of way, then God will, he's obliged, he will have to give you what you want. Some people treat prayer like that. It's a, it's a means to an end. Prayer is, I've got something I want, God has power to get it, how can I twist his arm? He says, don't pray like that either. The purpose of prayer is to experience God. He knows what you need, and even before you ask. But the reason why you pray then is so that you might come into communication with him. It's this significant reality that prayer is meant to draw us close to God. It's this one thing that's so, so very important. It reminds me of Mary and Martha, which will come later on in the book of Matthew, but they're preparing to host a party, and Martha's kind of busy doing all the work, and getting things prepped and ready, and and Mary's sitting there at the feet of the Lord, and Martha gets annoyed and says, Lord, good grief, what's going on here? I'm doing all the work. Here she is just sitting here. And Jesus replies in that moment, and he says, few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, what he's doing there is he's alluding to a psalm. He's alluding to a psalm 27 verse 4, where it says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. See, this is what prayer is about. It is this one thing, this one very special and prominent thing. It is the opportunity to be in relationship with God. It's not a means to an end. It's an opportunity to experience God himself. So we should be pursuing God in that way. As we approach him, as we even think about the activity of communicating with God, we should be um, thinking along those lines that the purpose of prayer is that I might come into a relationship with the Lord. Another aspect of how we pray is we do it out of our Christian identity. When we begin this activity of praying, we should be thinking about the privileged status that we have. We're praying to our Father. It's actually a surprising term, maybe not to us, but in the original and to the original audience for sure, 
To, to hear God described as Abba would have been breathtaking to them. And he's saying, you have the opportunity to communicate with God as Abba, as a father, as a, as a daddy. You can communicate with God in this way. When you pray, you're praying to your father. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your father, verse 8, knows what you need before you even ask him. So you're talking to him and, and you have this privileged status as child. You're, you're an adopted child of God on account of what Christ has done for you. You have sonship. You're in the family of God. And so you're able to go to God boldly, confidently. You're able to go to him on the basis of that reality of your identity in Christ. And this is a, this is a tremendous privilege because you're approaching God, but you're invited to do it as a child. Timothy Keller, I love what he says about it. He says, the only person who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. in the morning for a cold cup of water, the only person who could come to the king while the king is sleeping at 3 a.m. and not have their head removed is that king's child. He says, that's the kind of access that you have with God. You're coming to God as your father. And he is delighted to hear you and answer you appropriately. So we pray. When we pray, we are praying out of that Christian identity. We are children of the living God who are forgiven sinners. There's another aspect to that in verses 14 and 15 where we're reminded we're, we're God's children, but we're also we're also forgiven. So that status, that identity, forgiven children of God, as we approach God, if you think about that, it's going to change the way that you relate to him. You're, you're going to communicate with him differently. You're going to have a tremendous amount of respect for him. You're going to have a tremendous amount of excitement over what that could look like as you fellowship with him. But that is how you pray. You approach God with that posture of of the soul that acknowledges who he is and who you are in light of what he's done for you. Well, secondly, it teaches us what we are to pray. There's a content that's given here. He's saying, here's when you pray, these are the, the sorts of things that ought to come out of your mouth. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray. And he gives us one of the most famous prayers ever, the Lord's Prayer. And he tells us, this is what it looks like to pray. And he gives us content. He tells us the sorts of things that we ought to say. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on all of the different phrases. Um, we, you could double-click on this if you wanted to. You can go to our website, parkcitychurch.net, and we actually are hosting a, a course there that's called the Prayer Course, put on by a ministry named 24-7. And you could go through a, an entire course where the sessions are based off of each of these different phrases. Each of these different things that Jesus is suggesting here. We're not going to do that. Um, we're going to look at kind of the big, big picture of what Jesus is saying here. But he's giving us a model for how we pray. He, this, he teaches it actually in two different places. In Luke, when his disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples, he says the exact same thing. The Lord's Prayer, word for word, same exact thing. Here he's including it in his Sermon on the Mount. But here's the point then. This is a model prayer. Not just a prayer to be recited, but this is the way in which 
we are to pray. The kinds of things that are supposed to come out of our mouths when we communicate with God. Now, there's a lot of different ways that you could divide this up. Let me just give you two big headings for it. When we pray, the things that come out of our mouth should look like this. On the one hand, worship. We should worship God for who he is and what he's like and what he's doing. And on the other hand, we should ask him for certain things. And those will, as you'll see, when taken together, they, they inform each other, okay? So when you start asking, you're going to be asking in light of who God is. But first off, worship. Verse 9 reads like this. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. It's acknowledging who he is and it's bringing together those two concepts we've already talked about. Our Father, we are adopted children of God, and our Father is in heaven. He's the one who resides in the throne room. And Revelation gives us a picture of that. There are angels and elders and all of creation worshiping him. And so when we communicate to God, we start out like this. I'm acknowledging who you are. I'm recognizing your greatness. I'm recognizing my privileged status, my relationship with you as, as a child, and I'm communicating with you, but I am worshiping you. I'm recognizing and acknowledging who you are. And then we say things like this, hallowed be your name. It's acknowledging the name of the Lord and the respect due to it. It's giving deference and, and, and respect and honor to the Lord. Hallowed be your name. I'm praying that I would recognize how great you truly are. And you might go, well, that sounds weird. I mean, he's telling us to pray and, and saying, you're, you're great. You're hallowed. You're amazing. And you might go, that, that sounds kind of weird that he, would, that he would tell us to do that. But honestly, it's it's normal in other settings. For instance, I don't know if it's the same anymore. I should ask my kids. But when I went to Churlin grade school, we were not supposed to communicate with our teachers without talking to them in a way that showed respect. So Mr. and Mrs., right? You, you, when you talk to your teacher, you, 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 don't say, you don't call them by their first name. You guys remember that? Like, that's how it was for me. I don't know if it's the same anymore. But, you know, when I would see my, my science teacher, I wouldn't go up to him and go, hey, Tom, how you doing? I would have to call him by his, um, by his title, Mr. Hudson, which was weird, by the way, because he started attending our church. And then that put me in a dilemma. I'm at church and I'm like, I can't just, okay, Mr. Hudson. That's who you will always be to me, Mr. Hudson. But, but we're supposed to approach God with respect. With, with a recognition of his, his title, with his dignity, with, with the honor that's due to him. And we're supposed to pray in that sort of direction. We're worshiping him. We're saying, Lord, your name is holy. Hallowed be your name. Might my soul recognize that? And also, we should be praying that the world would also recognize that. That the greatness of the name of the Lord would be known to the ends of the earth. But we're praying with that worshipful reality that our Father is in heaven and we want his name to be respected. Then we worship him also by acknowledging his kingdom. Look at verse 10. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's acknowledging that he is a king and he is sovereign and he has some things that he is accomplishing in this world. And so we're praying in that direction. Your kingdom come. You're at work in this world. So what am I praying for? What you want. 
your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. This is different than my natural inclination to pray. What's my inclination? Core's will be done, right? When I pray, I want it my way. I'm asking you, God, to get on board with my plan, but not so. Jesus is saying, when you pray, this is the appropriate way to address your heavenly Father. You are praying like this. Your kingdom come. What you want, I want to align myself to that. What you're up to in this world, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm praying and I'm trying to align myself to the work that you're doing in this world. And all of that, I would say, is worshipful. It's acknowledging God. It's recognizing God. It's praying in, in alignment to what God is up to in this world. But that is, that is worship. And that moves us then to asking. We are to make some requests. But if you're worshiping God and you're recognizing who he, am, who he is, all of a sudden, what you're asking for is going to sound a little different. You're going to be praying differently because you've already recognized who God is. So you, you, you ask for things like this. Verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. God does want us to talk about our needs, but we're going to talk to him about those needs in a very particular way. We're going to ask him for our daily provision, meaning we're going to communicate with him about our routine needs. God has built us in such a way that we are dependent people, and prayer is a way to recognize that, to acknowledge that. So we, we ask God, Give us today our daily bread. There are things that I need today, and there will be new things that I need tomorrow, but I am meant to live in a constant state of dependency upon God. And so he gives us that gift of praying in that way. They, it's, it's just acknowledging our need. So God makes us so we have to sleep, right? He makes us so that every night our bodies tell us, you got to shut it down for a bit. And then we need to rest. There are times where we have to break from our routine work schedule. And God has built us in that way. And we need food. We need sustenance. We need to eat. And so all of that gives us the opportunity to pray to God for our daily provisions and to acknowledge we are needy people. We are dependent upon God and we are not meant to live independently from Him. Though we try. We try to live without reference to God, but prayer is a way to awaken us to the reality. I need God in my life, and I need him daily, routinely, moment by moment. I need God. Give us today our daily bread. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. One of the things that we should be praying about is that we would receive forgiveness and that we would have the strength to offer forgiveness. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. All of us have the debt, the outstanding debt of our sin. And we need God to forgive us from that. We need to be able to go to him in prayer and confess our sin and find fresh relief. Forgive us our debts. We, we acknowledge our sinfulness and we acknowledge our need for God to forgive us and to take away that sin. And 1 John 1, 9 puts it like this, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. One of the things that we're praying for is that God would forgive us, and we routinely pray that. Christians are people who are forgiven, but we continue to, to, to fail and fall short, and so we need to consistently go back to the throne of grace and receive what we need. We confess our sins, and then we extend 
forgiveness to other people. Because we're living in a fallen world with broken people who are going to upset us and offend us and fail us. And we need to extend the forgiveness that we ourselves have received. And that's the point that's made in verses 14 and 15. That we, as forgiven people, we're, we're obligated to extend that forgiveness to other people. And it tells us that if we don't, we will not receive forgiveness in the way that we hope. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, we are forgiven people in Christ, but we have to go on forgiving other people like we ourselves have received that forgiveness. If we, if we don't, then on the day of judgment, we will not receive that forgiveness like we are expecting and hoping for. But Jesus is telling us that we should pray for that. We should pray for our own forgiveness and then for the strength to forgive our debtors. That's an important thing for us to do. And finally, finally, we are to pray for help in the struggle against sin and the enemy. Again, we live in a fallen world with broken people and we ourselves are broken. So we need help. And we pray like this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, help us. There, there are many things that can get us off track. There are many temptations in this world. Deliver us from them. Lead us not into them and deliver us from the evil one. There is an enemy who hates us and he wants us to fail. And so we need to be praying that God would guard and keep us and that he would protect us and deliver us from the evil one. We need to be aware of the sin struggles that we each face. And you should be aware of your particular weaknesses. And that should be a matter of prayer, that you would be bringing that before the throne of God's grace routinely and saying, these are the things that I need help in. Lord, these are the things where I'm prone to sin. Please, please, Lord, lead me not into temptation and deliver me from the evil one. Bring that before the Lord routinely, and he will hear and answer you. So Jesus is telling us what we should pray. He gives us a model of the sorts of things that we can communicate to God. So as I wrap up here, let's review the things that we've discussed here. First, when we approach God in prayer, there's, there's a posture of the soul that we should assume. We should be heavenly-minded, thinking about God above. We should recognize that the activity of prayer is a sacred thing, and so we should have a preference for, for privacy. It's such, such a special God-given thing that we should want to just have that with the Lord alone. The goal of prayer is being with God. It's not a means to an end. It is the end. We should be praying from a place of our identity as children of God who've been forgiven and adopted. And when we pray, we worship God. We acknowledge His greatness. We pray that His name would be honored and revered. And we pray that His will would be accomplished in this world. And then we ask God for a few things. They're very specific things. We ask God for our routine needs, our daily bread. We pray for forgiveness and for the strength to forgive others. And we pray for help in the struggle against sin and the enemy. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. So as I invite the band to come, this then is how we should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. 
and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, we thank you that you have gifted us with the ability to communicate with you. We pray, Lord, that as your kingdom citizens, we would do that in a way that is pleasing to you. Help us to pray. We pray in your name. Amen.